Welcome to Building Sustainably, The Road to Net Zero, a podcast by RPS. Achieving net zero requires a transformational shift in the way we plan, design, and build. But as the 2050 target edges closer, significant challenges lie ahead. In this podcast series, we aim to tackle the key issues head on. We'll explore real life case studies and provide actionable advice on how to define, design, and manage net zero projects and programs. In this series, we focus on decarbonization challenge facing owners and operators of large property estates, a challenge compounded by aging infrastructure, limited funding, and competing pressures. Here to make the complex easy, I'm your host, Chris Lavery. We welcome Simon Bork, RPS's healthcare sector lead, to the podcast. With nearly 40 years of building services experience in the property and development industry, Simon's expertise includes initial concept design through to detail design, construction monitoring, handover, and post-occupancy evaluation for both new build and refurbishment. Simon's a chartered engineer and a fellow of the Institute of Engineering and Technology, SIBSI, and the Institute of Healthcare, Engineering, and Estate Management. For the last six years, Simon's been with RPS, but prior to that, he spent the previous 20 at the integrated consulting engineering company, Bureau Hapold. He's worked on a wide range of healthcare projects, not just in the UK, but worldwide, across India, China, and Tanzania. He was also part of the NHS tax force that developed the concept of a very low energy healthcare centre that optimised the use of modern methods of construction using passive house principles to minimise carbon emissions. He was also part of the NHS task force that developed the concept of a very low energy healthcare centre that optimised the use of modern methods of construction using passive house principles to minimise carbon emissions. His sector experiences ranges across advanced manufacturing, education, residential, commercial and healthcare, Leading the building services team across the Birmingham, London, Leeds, Manchester and Newcastle offices, Simon has a real passion for sustainable design with a key focus on achieving net zero carbon at the forefront on all projects and proposals he's involved with. We couldn't be happier to welcome Simon to the podcast and today's episode. Welcome Simon. Absolutely delighted you can join us. Obviously, we know each other as colleagues, so I know what a really interesting journey and experience you've had. In terms of that, you've written articles for RPS, and one of them you've written discusses the challenge of retrofitting from existing building stock to achieve net zero carbon. So, big question to start off with. How big a challenge do you think this is? Well, it's a massive challenge. It's one which requires you know, holistic and strategic thinking, but also significant investment and time to implement. There's a lot of legislation around at the moment, and a lot of that's written around new building design. But even by following exemplar design principles, it's hard to get a newly designed building to net zero carbon. So if a new standalone, well-designed building using high insulation standards, efficient heating, efficient ventilation and lighting, including renewable technologies such as PV, and if that's going to struggle to get to net zero carbon without offsetting or using imported, imported green energy, then that poses an even greater challenge for the existing building stock. And that's most of the healthcare estate at the moment. So that's where the real challenge lies. So I mean, when we look at your broader experience, if we focus in specifically around the health sector, what would it actually mean for a hospital to get to net zero carbon? Yeah, well, we did an exercise for NHSI, NHSI, which is NHS improvement. It's a bit like the old NHS estates, where we modelled a pilot healthcare centre 
which is a precursor to some of the cavalry centers that are coming out at the moment, to see what an exemplar building design could achieve in terms of carbon emissions. So this is an example of evidence-based modeling, where we create a digital model to replicate the design of the existing or proposed building, like a digital twin. And this is called the notional building. And then improvements are made to that notional building and modeled to create an accurate calculation of the energy and carbon usage and the carbon emissions for the building. So what we did is we created what we call an optimized design in terms of the materials for the building, which were on the market. So often when you do energy reductions or carbon reductions for buildings, there's always factors that mean you don't apply all those measures, maybe because they're just so expensive or things aren't available. But what we tried to do was just look at, in a theoretical mode, what if you use the best materials, the most efficient energy systems, and then also this was taken as like a city centre or a city centre building, which only has a certain footprint. It hasn't got large grounds to do renewable technologies with. So we maximised the amount of PVs on the roof, and even with all those exemplar measures, the building was quite a long way off reaching net zero carbon. It was probably only got about two thirds of the way there. So it is a real challenge. And hospitals are large users of energy. And therefore, to get to net zero carbon, they need to generate a large amount of on-site renewable energy, which is very hard to achieve as you need physical space for this. And as we showed in that city centre building, you just haven't got the space on the roof to do that. So really to do this, there needs to be an element of imported zero carbon energy or offsetting to get to net zero carbon. So, I mean, that's a big enough challenge in terms of new build. You've talked about that in terms of a newly designed hospital or a healthcare building and how you could work towards net zero carbon, but obviously challenges in actually meeting it. So what does that mean for the existing building stock? Yeah, there is a real challenge. I mean, there's a new, at the moment, there's a new planned NHS net zero carbon building standard, which a lot of healthcare trusts which will have to be, like, become a HTM, sorry, technical guidance, which hospitals have to follow. Well, it's due to be, it should be this year. And I was part of the consultation group for this. And it got strong aims, but the first edition's focus is mainly aimed at new buildings. And it recognises that it needs to give clear guidance to designers, but it's only addressing part of the building, part of the issues. So the retrofitting challenge is, is the one, is the real challenge. One of the easiest ways to reduce carbon emissions is to move from using gas as a source of energy for heating and water. Water which is used for heating and also the sanitary and hygiene requirements for the building users. I'm going to call it like it's a dash from gas to electricity. It creates challenges in the changes needed to the infrastructure serving the building. Or in the case of a hospital, or it could be a university, or a whole campus or a state's primary and secondary hot water distribution system, it's really hard to generate that. Using a hospital as an example, Generating heat and hot water from electricity could double the electrical maximum demand, you know, the electrical supply intake requirements to that building. And that requires large-scale, costly and time-consuming electrical supply upgrades. And you'll find it particularly in London at the moment that, well, not just London, but any city centre, it takes a really long time to get these new supplies in because the grid is just at full capacity at the moment. So all this comes at major capital costs even before the loss of operational use of the building is factored in. So there's a capital cost challenge, but there's also a long-term operational cost challenge. Reducing carbon emissions in an existing building by reducing or removing gas is a big step in the environmental aspect of sustainability. It comes at an economic cost, though, and the economic cost is the biggest obstacle for a large majority of clients. Even with energy price fluctuations at the moment, gas is still cheaper than electricity to generate hot water. So it just means that whilst 
a trust might move over to might reduce its carbon emissions it might actually increase its energy costs and that's a challenge for them for healthcare trusts with their tight budgets and i think simon we've seen that not just in healthcare we see that in education with colleges and universities where they're looking at net zero carbon moving from gas to electricity as you say it helps with the net zero carbon challenges but actually in terms of the cost of energy it creates major increases so that is going to be very very difficult so in terms of that simon do you think therefore that net zero carbon is more difficult to achieve in hospitals than in other properties a lot more i mean you could when you compare it to offices and you compare it to housing and you compare it to education, they have a their carbon intensity of how much carbon emissions they generate per meter squared. They're much, much higher. And also, the buildings are 24, 7, 365 buildings. Yeah, they don't shut. Or most of a hospital stays operational all the time. So that they really are high carbon emission generators, which means they to try and reduce the carbon emissions, which would obviously involve the use of on-site renewable energy. It's just really difficult. It's a real challenge. So based on that and the points you've raised, Simon, what steps do you think managers can take right now in order to make a difference? They could be in charge of existing buildings and estates, such as hospitals and university campuses, for example. I mean, there's lots of things they can do and there's lots of things they probably already have done. I think one thing also to kind of be mindful of is that there is this net zero carbon it's a bit of zeitgeist at the moment and everyone's mentioned net zero carbon but there's also the requirement to reduce energy and carbon emissions anyway so whilst a lot of these steps may not get into net zero carbon they will reduce their energy and their carbon emissions which is important in terms of economic sustainability so there's lots of things that trust managers will already have done in terms of changing to led lighting variable speed drives on motors other interventional measures such as improving glazing, secondary insulation to existing buildings, PVs to the roof. Even when you add to this the more interventionist move of moving from gas-fired boilers to air source heat pumps. And air source heat pumps is another thing that you're going to hear. We're already hearing a lot in the industry and you're hearing more. It's becoming nearly a de facto solution at the moment. It's not, I'd say that it's a step, it's not the solution. But they're still, when you do all this, they're not getting to net zero carbon. They are reducing their energy. So there's also another challenge of whether when you've got an existing building, do you refurbish or do you build new? Do you knock it down and start a new efficient building or do you refurbish it? Also coming into more prevalent now, and it will be part of legislation very soon, is embodied carbon. And the embodied carbon used to construct a new hospital compared to that of a refurbished hospital is between five to 10 years of the building's operational carbon. And therefore, in the future, policies will need to recognise the embodied carbon impact of the new building compared to reusing or refurbishing an existing one. There's a future building regulation called Part Z, which will require embodied carbon to be taken into account. And this will be another factor in the overall decision making. And I'll just use kind of one recent example where you can use heavyweight concrete, you know, lots of concrete in a structure, which can actually reduce the operational carbon emissions because it keeps it can regulate the temperature better but what you're doing is you're adding in embodied carbon at the same time so there's a real challenge to be addressed here okay simon so based on all of that how are estate managers going to balance the need to get to net zero carbon with the potential investment shortfall yeah there's the rub i consider the government needs to do more than just set targets and hope that the trust will be able to deliver strategies that achieve this as i explained earlier if a newly designed exemplar building 
cannot get to net zero carbon without employing external measures offsetting or importing green energy, then a hospital, estate or portfolio with existing buildings has an even greater challenge. So what is needed, or what I believe is needed, is for existing buildings to be set challenging but achievable targets for carbon reduction and allowing other measures to be used to balance the residual carbon. One of the measures should not really be offsetting or carbon offsetting. As the late Max Fordham said, that's just paying others to clean up your pollution. The measures should be allowing importation of energy as part of the overall net zero carbon equation, but that which is from guaranteed carbon-free sources from, say, a government-owned and operated company. If there was a long-term strategy that decarbonized the gas transmission network by, for example, using green hydrogen, that could liberate estates with large gas infrastructure systems to avoid having to do the dash from gas. So could green hydrogen save the day? This bit might get edited out, but, but if you look at what where the government's putting its money, I mean, recently it's put money into new gas-fired coal station, which just seems like an aberration against what we're trying to do. So there is money available to invest. And, you know, could green hydrogen do that? I mean, hydrogen has a calorific value that is three times that of natural gas. So that means for one kilowatt of natural gas, you nearly get three times the amount of energy from the equivalent hydrogen. So green hydrogen is only green if the energy used to make it is from renewable sources. But that's achievable. At the moment, there's no immediate availability of utility-supplied green hydrogen or cost-effective means to generate sufficient hydrogen on-site for hospital to be able to replace gas boilers with a hydrogen source. But if it was easily available, it could save hospitals removing extensive gas heating infrastructure and replacing it with electrical heating or hot water. I mean, very pro- the additional cost to move from gas to electrical heating could easily be £5 million for a 20,000 square metre hospital which could take more than 10 years to pay back in energy savings. If hydrogen was available, this additional capital investment could be avoided. It could also bring back into use combined heat and power systems, CHP, many of which were employed in hospitals as low carbon, low energy measures. But a lot of them are being turned off because they use natural gas and they become high generators of carbon. I'm just saying that, you know, carbon, you know, green hydrogen could actually solve a lot of problems. So that's quite thought-provoking, really, Simon. I think that the other point you've touched on today, it really does highlight some of the challenges facing the health sector. So hopefully our listeners have found that really interesting. But I'd just like to ask you one more question before you leave. As the podcast is focused on building sustainability, what piece of advice would you like to give our listeners who are looking to ensure their properties are reaching net zero targets? Well, I'd say there's no silver bullet, no single solution but minimise energy consumption as much as possible. I think before you move whole scale from gas to electricity, because of the co- because of additional capital costs and operational costs, um, model, as in energy model, any planned changes, both energy and carbon, but also financially, so you don't waste money. We've seen so many examples of turned off CHP engines and dormant gas boilers, sorry, dormant biomass boilers, which were the preferred solutions 15 years ago. We don't try and avoid, we don't, we want, we need to learn from the lessons of the past. Lobby the government for clear guidance and targets that can be met by the existing estates. Get them to provide guidance for purchasing for offsetting measures that are non-currently unless required by local planning policy, such as the London plan. Provide guidance for procurement of offset renewable energy. For example, 
the building regulations don't really allow for imported green energy, but they could be changed, or especially for government buildings, they could be changed to allow that as long as it's from a guaranteed source. So all these things will be needed so that building owners and estate managers can agree appropriate carbon reduction measures for their estate and get to net zero carbon in an economically sustainable way. And just one final one from me, Simon. Do you think green hydrogen really is viable in the future? Yes. With investment, it requires investment and it will take time. But all the other measures that we're doing at the moment do take time as well. Hospitals moving from gas to electricity massively increases the electrical demand in a hospital. That can be a million pounds upgrade. And if all the hospitals are trying to do that at the same time, there's no capacity in the grid at the moment, in the electricity grid. So if there's no capacity, that needs long-term investment as well. So it's not saying that you don't just invest in the grid, which you do need to do, but I believe there are other ways to potentially look at using our current infrastructure for gas to make that sustainable for the whole country. Okay. Well, thank you, Simon. That was really thought-provoking, really interesting, and definitely a very challenging sector to move towards net zero carbon, if, as you said earlier on, is achievable without offsetting. So thank you very much for your input, Simon. Really good, really good debate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero podcast is brought to you by RPS. To find out more about RPS and how we can help your organization achieve its net zero targets, visit rpsgroup.com. And then make sure to search for Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at RPS, thanks for listening.